welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where you will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now... Let's dive into today's episode. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. And we are going to cover a topic that is brought to us all the time by our listeners and people we interact with online. Specifically, how to build and scale multiple remote companies. I think we've seen over the past several months is that those entrepreneurs who had something going on online had an advantage in some cases over those who did not have something going on online. And I think we've also seen over the past several months, and for better or worse, this is a lesson that has become very clear to some people very close to me, is that multiple streams of income are more critical than we even recognize simply because you never know what's going to happen in the economy that could just wipe something out like with a snap and the way you're going to survive is when you have multiple different companies multiple streams of revenue so that if something happens to one stream you still have three or four others going or vice versa or however you want to work that to guide us through this topic today we have somebody who we've been excited to have on business creators radio for a while now but given his very busy schedule we've uh work to get him to spend some time with us. His name is Dave Schneider, and I'll just tell you a little bit about him. He has built and successfully exited two SaaS companies known as Ninja Outreach and LessChurn.io, and has grown his current marketing agency, Shortlist.io, to over 500K in revenue in its first year. Sounds good to me. So Dave Schneider, come on in, the weather's fine. The weather is good. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. All right. All right. What we like to do here before we dive into what we're going to discuss today is take a step back. And our listeners know that we do this with every episode. And let's discover a little bit more about Dave Schneider, the man. And tell us a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Absolutely. Yeah, happy to do so. Well, I'll fast forward through more or less the first 20 years of my life. Uh, All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine, you know, we, we have to kind of pick a starting point that's relevant. Uh, and essentially when I um, graduated college, I, I graduated with a math degree and I went to work at Capital One as a business analyst. And I worked there for two years um, in DC uh, with my girlfriend. And both of us were getting a little bored at work uh, as some listeners may relate to. And we decided we wanted to go uh, travel. So we planned a year-long backpacking trip, and we quit our jobs. We saved up money, and we mapped out the route, um, and we went to Japan. Um, and it was always our goal to start working online uh, when we left because we had savings uh, that were going to allow us maybe to travel for one year or so, but we thought if we wanted to ever do more than that, 
we're going to need to find a way to make a little bit of money online uh, to, to pad our runway. Um, and so we started a travel blog. Uh, we started writing about our journeys, as many, many people do. Right. Uh, but we learned that there were advertisers who were interested in being on the website. And they were looking at things like the domain authority of the website um, as a means of getting a backlink from the site and sort of increasing their own rankings in the SERPs. And this is where I started to learn a little bit about uh, websites and what metrics matter and SEO and website design and how to generate traffic and write a good blog article and really the foundation, foundational skill sets of the things that I, I utilize a lot uh, today and utilize a lot in my businesses. And so that um, one advertiser that originally reached out to us when we were in Japan very early on the trip offered to pay us like $300 for a couple links in a post really started the whole uh, movement for us to start working online. And we, we basically grew that travel blog into a bit of a business, to be honest. Um, fast forwarding a couple of years, we're still on the road because uh, we had learned to make money from the travel blog. And I started a software business that was Ninja Outreach. Um, and that was where I really started to um, build a remote team. Um, the travel blog was me and my girlfriend, but the Ninja Outreach was me and a remote team. And I had to learn where to find people and how to trust people that I didn't see every day in an office and how to evaluate them on their skill set beyond maybe what they uh, wrote in their pitch, but kind of, you know, really who they were. Um, and so I built Ninja Outreach up uh, with my partner, Mark, over four years to a team of 20 or so. And I exited from that in March of 2018. And then at this point being pretty comfortable with remote teams and marketing in general, decided to start uh, a marketing agency, which is shortlist.io. And that's what I've been run working on now for the last two or so years. Um, again, with a remote team, it's been going very well. Yeah. And I imagine that uh, that was an interesting journey for you is the whole thing about working with a remote team. So what would you say are some of the major lessons that you discovered uh, about working with virtual teams and remote teams, things that you might not have anticipated when you first went into the business with Ninja Outreach? Absolutely. There's so many different uh, lessons that one learns by doing something that they don't know. Some of them good, some of them bad. Uh, and I want to kind of give a little bit of a, a, a I guess, a, a mix of, of both of those. So, I mean, some of the first things that, that we learned was, uh, or that I learned was just that there's really great talent out there. Uh, it was uh, my opinion that I had to do everything and I had to sort of be the one writing the blog and uh, doing even design on the website and uh, customer service and all these things that I assumed, you know, other people maybe uh, didn't have the skill set or outside of America, for example, didn't have the level of English to, to be able to do it. Um, and I've totally uh, done a 180 on that. Um, and even recently, even having worked with uh, remote teams for years, there were still a few things that I held very close to my chest and saying, oh, well, only I can get on a sales call and close a deal for thousands of dollars with a, a potential client. Uh, you know, there's just a line to which um, an outsourced remote worker, you know, it's just it's not going to be a good fit. And I've, I've learned that that's not the case either. I have people right now in Macedonia for our business development team and shortlist that can get on a call without me there at all and, and just take the customer through the journey uh, completely. So you really have to learn to question, some, you know, what are your assumptions based on, basically? If they're based on yeah. experience, that's different. You know, if you've had experience with different workers and, um, and things haven't gone your way, fair enough. But if they've just sort of, you just kind of show up one day and you have these 
inherent beliefs or biases, you should really question those. That's one of the bigger lessons that I've learned, one of the positive ones. Um, on the flip side, one of the sort of, I guess, negative ones is, you know, that there is um, a difference, obviously, between a remote team and a team in an office um, in the yeah. way that they're able to work together and communicate with each other. And there are definitely hurdles. Um, they're not insurmountable, but they are out there. there are, you might deal with people on different time zones. You might deal with people who speak uh, different native languages, um, who have different days off because holidays are different in their country. Um, all of these different types of things, you, you know, people have different costs of living. And so maybe you, you hire people for a similar role, but uh, the pay just doesn't really make sense. Um, in one context as it does in another. Um, all these different types of things need to kind of be uh, thought, thought through. Um, and there are, like I said, there are ways around that. I think we'll get into it in this call, some of the different tools and techniques and stuff that can help uh, these, these hurdles, but they are definitely out there. It is not just the easiest thing to do. In my work with organizations for myself, dealing with virtual and remote teams, a recurring theme that comes up is asynchronicity where you do not have people in the same time zone, in the same place, working in the same, in, with, even within the same flow in many cases. One of the things that I have discovered is very important, for, at least from my own perspective, and I cover this in my book, Groundhog Days, an Invent Not a Business Strategy, is the idea of creating dependencies. This is in the section of the book about that's about making deadlines actually matter to people because as an entrepreneur and as a business leader yourself, Dave, I'm sure you have set many deadlines that just kind of pass by. Has that ever happened to you before? No, that has never happened to me. Never, <laughs> never. Well, here, here's, here's what I discovered it looks like from the perspective of somebody on a remote team because I've managed them. I've been on them and I've been, I mean, I've been both at the same time is that unless something has a dependency, unless something else will happen or not happen, if something does or doesn't get done, it you know it's not a big deal. And this is another thing that we find under the conundrum of the startup. My solution for solving the startup conundrum is to go out there and get a customer to pay you to do something. Now suddenly all those meetings and planning sessions and retreats and PowerPoints about what our next five years are going to look like when we haven't made a dime yet, all that goes away because now you actually have customers to serve and you're discovering real lessons in real time. All that being said is if you, let's say that I was on your remote team and you assigned me a deadline and I'm going to think, oh, that's cool. But what happens? I mean, is there somebody else who depends on me getting that done? Is there something maybe with a marketing campaign or something you're doing to close a deal or something you're doing to bring a million dollar project to fruition? If you want, at least from my perspective, to overcome one of the challenges of asynchronicity and get people to actually care about deadlines. In fact, that's actually the title of that subsection of my book, how to get people to actually care about deadlines in two simple steps. And the second one is creating dependencies. So that's just my view on it. And especially when you're in a startup mode, you may be setting goals and deadlines for things. And if it's your first rodeo or even your second or third rodeo, you may not yet even have the understanding of what's important or what's not important. That's just my view. Yeah, I think your perspective is 100% correct. Um, and I think it's, 
It's, it's almost a little bit of a respect uh, issue, issue as well. And, and the reason I say that is because it's one thing to give people deadlines. Um, you can kind of, you know, if you're the boss, you can kind of just give deadlines however you want, right? Right. Like technically. Uh, but to actually explain to somebody why that deadline is the way it is, that there is a purpose for the work, that there's a next step. Um, I think that they're better off for it, that people like to know they're part of something bigger, that the stuff that they're working on has impact and meaning and that there's sort of a next step for for the work that they're going to do um and so i always you know i'll, I'll be honest just, you know i you never 100 percent at anything right and sometimes i i kind yeah. of forget to give the full context and stuff like that but to the extent right. that i can i always try to give a deadline and then give some context with it as well about why we need it done when we need it yeah, I think, I, yeah, and I think uh, you actually are touching on another thing right there when it gets to communicating. And this is where team building really becomes a powerful tool and vessel for growing a business, particularly a remote business. After a while, once you've worked with somebody for a period of time, you've done some things together, you've had some successes together, you've even had some failures together, you develop sort of a shorthand where when one says something, the other knows what it means. It's like uh, they can start to explain, the other says, yep, yep, I know that song by heart. And once you have that in place, you can really get a lot of stuff done very quickly, but it can take a lot of time to develop that kind of shorthand. Yeah, uh, I work very closely with, uh, with with members of the team, and uh, they've learned just how much I really love communication. Um, yeah. I love it when somebody comes to me and says, hey, David, I just wanted to give you an update about the outreach campaign we're working on or something like that without me asking, because I, you know, nine times out of 10, I'm asking something like, hey, how'd that call go? Or how are we doing on this report or something like that? And, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's normal, but it, it's a little tiresome, to be honest, to always sort of be asking for updates. Dates. Um, yeah. I love people kind of come to me and say, hey, uh, you know, I, I, I'm guessing you want to know what's going on. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Um, and so I, I do try to try to train the employees to, to, to know that that's the way I like to be communicated to. Perhaps that, that isn't the case for everybody. Some people are more of a door shut uh, type of approach and they don't necessarily want to be bothered. Uh, I would much rather be bothered because it allows me to not have to ask them later. Yeah, so you have to decide whether you want the, the kitchen sink and the dirty dishes in it or the dirty dishes and no place to wash them. You got it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have found that another thing that you might want to consider, and again, we're talking about real-world stuff that not, might not necessarily be outlined step-by-step step in the textbook, is the process of creating action habits. And there are different theories about how long it takes to create a habit. Some people say, uh, if you do something every day for 30 days, it becomes a habit. Some say, it doesn't matter how often you do it, as long as you do it over a period of 90 days, Wh whatever. There are many different ways to create a habit. And I have found in the real world, what can be effective is to set a policy and stick by it. Uh, let me give you an, let me give you an example of what I mean. This is from one of my own client experiences where I manage logistics of how their teams work. Let's say that you have a process for um, setting up a live stream. You, you do a live stream every week to your fans and followers. So there's a process. You need to identify the topic. You need to put up maybe a landing page. You need to make sure that an email goes out to your list. You need to make sure that you have posts getting done. Uh, if you're using bot marketing, you got to make sure that happens. Uh, but all that, but none of that can begin 
until the person who's responsible for setting the topic, the description, and, and such for what that live stream is going to be about that week submits their information. So what I will do in that case is I will be an absolute strickler, stickler for that information. And, uh, and I'll say, I don't care if the live stream is tomorrow morning and we've been asking six times. If we don't have that information, nobody's lifting a finger for anything. And if they don't submit the information properly the first time, to call them out on it immediately. Not like, how ah, you forgot, but like just to point out or rather call out the process that something was missing. And this is going to sound how it's going to sound. But, and I've actually gotten this feedback. Uh, people have said, you know, we finally got good at just getting you the information we need because we didn't want to hear you, bitch. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think then you and I have a very similar approach uh, because I, I also uh, can be uh, a bitchy stickler, I guess is, is the way you describe it. Uh, I hope it's okay to use that word, but you, you broke the ice. Um, oh, well, on, 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 <laughs> let me tell you something about our show. Um, and this happens frequently. We have listeners who tune in just to see if I'm going to go off on some hysterical rant. Okay, good to know. And so far, I've been pretty calm. Uh, you know, we're, you're a pretty placid guy here, so we may uh, just uh, have a quiet conversation. For our listeners and those who are tuning into Business Creators Radio Show and those who are going to various syndication networks to make sure you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you, uh, what we ultimately want you guys to experience is it's like you're sitting in on a private mastermind session between myself and my guests, in this case, Dave Schneider. So if that's the experience we're delivering, then we're doing what we were supposed to do. So if it seems like this seems a little informal and we're just sort of yucking it up here a little bit, imagine having the opportunity to sit somewhere and observe a private mastermind between a couple of people who have been there and done that and are dropping morsels of life brilliance on you. That's what we want to have happen. David, proceed. There we go. Yeah. Cheers uh, on that explanation. So yeah. just to finish um, that thought, uh, you know, firstly, you mentioned a couple of things that are, are sort of uh, worth highlighting. Number one is, you know, what is the source of uh, of, of, of work, uh, of something that somebody's producing, because they may have to collect information from somebody else, right? And so making sure that that information is done and delivered on time uh, really kind of creates the domino effect about whether or not the end result is able to be finished on time. You know, half the time, if somebody doesn't give me the report, it's, it's not necessarily because they were late, but because somebody else was late giving them something. So you really have to yeah. kind of think about the source and, and making sure that everything is kind of got the appropriate deadlines. Um, to help that along the way, um, I do like to uh, have people set reminders, you know, when, when necessary. Uh, we are all human and we do forget things and having a reminder um, if something is, uh, you know, monthly or weekly or something like that, um, that makes it, I think, a lot easier on the person to not have to consciously remember, but just a reminder kind of pings them. Um, that said, uh, you know, you, you mentioned attention to detail and kind of being a stickler. And I think that's that's my approach as well about really, you know, I, I have a little bit of an OCD tendency. Uh, I'll be the first to kind of admit it. Um, yeah. So if I have a sheet um, that I'm looking for someone, for example, the biz dev team to fill in, 
Uh, and it, it can get uh, it can get a little embarrassing. I'll be honest. I I like uh, websites without hyphens at the end or or backslashes or any or any any stuff like that. I like everything to sort of be exactly looking the way that it it does when I set it up myself. And so when I you know when I work with people uh, in sort of a communal uh, document like that, um, I'm always kind of a stickler about the details about that things are exactly the way. I've kind of set them up to be. And I'm, what I'm trying to do is kind of build the habit because if somebody's paying attention to the very, very fine details, I feel like that that just ingrains that habit extremely deeply um, in them, uh, which is, you know, because the important thing is that maybe not necessarily the details per se in terms of, you know, does the website have a backslash at the end of it, but that the website is that, you know, but that the sheet is actually filled out on time and stuff like that. But if you've got somebody focusing so deep on the details within that, they're definitely not going to forget the larger picture of what needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to, oh, we just don't want to hear him bitch again. Uh, I mean, that, that was feedback that was given to me. And it was meant in a jocular manner. It wasn't a criticism or anything like that. And when I heard it, I'm thinking, yes, this is actually working the way I wanted to. So a way that I have articulated that with a couple of clients in real time is when it comes to that thing where we know it's something that happens on a regular basis and we know that there are three or five specific pieces of data, fill in these blanks, get it to us, and then the rest of it will just happen. And when I don't get that stuff or it's not delivered in a proper format or it's incomplete, I'll say, once again, we are having five rounds of discussion about a routine process that should require no discussion. Yeah. And, and what I've and what I found every time I've used that approach is uh, I might have to go through that once or twice. But what usually happens after I use that phrase is the response I'll get to it is actually the complete information, because now they're starting to get it. And they're recognizing that the reason I'm starting by being such a stickler when it comes to a process is because I'm creating habits, action habits. So the things that are routine that really should not require any discussion or analysis at all. That should, we should be able to just get done. We get ourselves in the habit of supporting each other in such a way where we don't have to ask each other any questions to get it done. Yeah, sometimes you have to beat a dead horse. And just you know, to touch back to earlier aspects of this conversation, talking to people about the larger picture, about the context, about why something needs to be done on time in a certain way, um, kind of allows you to be a bit of a stickler. But but you know, if you don't really give them that context, they're just going to be like, "Wow, he's just being a jerk." Yeah, yeah. There's another thing I point out, and I mentioned this in my, again, in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. And I actually repeat this in two different places. It's the same subsection of a chapter, but I copy paste it at two different places because it's that important. And I challenge the business creator, the entrepreneur, the team leader to, in every way possible, look at what they're doing on a daily basis and ask this question. What would happen if we didn't do this at all? Yeah, I think uh, so many, uh, so many times the answer to that question is nothing at all. Exactly. Right? That's my that's my point. <laughs> and those are exactly the types of things that you know need to be sort of cut out. I mean, uh, sometimes you know we like to set ninety day plans uh, at work, um, and uh, it's sort of like a list of tasks that we we like each department to kind of get done. It's their goal for the next ninety days. Um, and then, you know, what I'll often do is we'll look back at the end of the quarter on kind of what was done and, and maybe what wasn't. 
And I'll kind of ask myself, you know, whether or not that really was something that needed to be done or whether I just thought that, hey, that would be a good thing to throw in the 90-day plan because of whatever. Right, 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 right. Now, the other thing that question can reveal is some of the things we've been discussing or the dependencies and the consequences and impacts of not doing something. So that once we ask that question, what would happen if we didn't do this at all? And we say, oh, yeah this thing would happen or that thing wouldn't happen. Now we begin to understand not only priorities, but also dependency impacts. And that builds a culture of accountability and mutual support. Yeah, I love it. Love your approach. Yeah, and, and, let's, and let's just have a little bit of fun with something. Have you ever heard the, the one about uh, why people cut the ends off a roast when they put it in a pan? No, my wife does all, all right. the cooking. Okay, so let me let me tell you about this. And this is a friend of mine that told me this. Uh, he uh, he said that uh, he noticed that when his wife put a roast in the pan, she would always cut the ends off the roast before she put it in the pan. And he asked her why she did that. And she said, well, uh, my mother told me that uh, when you cut the ends off the roast, it allows the juices to get in. So it makes the roast much more delicious and tender and everything else. Well, then the guy went and asked his mother-in-law, and the mother-in-law said, well, you know, my mother taught me that when you cut off the ends of the roast, it allows the juices to sink in, and it makes the roast more tender and delicious. And wouldn't you know it, his grandmother-in-law was still around. And so, he, because he's really trying to get to the bottom of this, because he doesn't understand why they're cutting off the ends of the roast. Uh, so he went and asked his grandmother-in-law, and she said, well, you know, during the Depression, we couldn't afford a bigger pan. That's the only way we could make the roast fit. Yeah, it's, it's that's the a point, good story. The point, yeah, the point being is that many permanent roles are, are long-ranging, permanent overreactions to a temporary one-time blip on the radar. So we get all these rules and regulations. We don't even know why they're there, and that's the reason they start to not even make sense. So when we ask that question, what would happen if we didn't do this at all? We can unsurface some of that. So what happens if you don't cut the ends off the roast? Well, really nothing. It's, it's not going to really make a big difference, really. Uh, but then you start asking those whys, and you start going back through the chain of the history, and you find out that uh, your wife's grandmother's family was poor during the Depression, and they couldn't afford a bigger pan. Yeah. So, so, and, and then grandma told mother that, well, you know, honey, we're cutting off the ends because it's going to make it taste better because she doesn't want to tell her little kid that they're too broke to afford a damn pan. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of so much of what we do or think, uh, un unfortunately, is based on very arbitrary things. Uh, and uh, essentially, uh, a lot of times when we build an organization and we start to set up processes in a way of doing things, um, they become kind of accepted as almost like, uh, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not biblical, but almost like holy, you know, it's sort of, yeah. uh, it, it, well, we do it this way because it's always been done this way. Um, and sometimes there was a reason initially maybe to do it a certain way, but that reason is no longer relevant. Um, and we're not, long, we're not questioning whether or not we should still be taking that approach. And if that yeah. approach uh, is relevant with the current organization and team and vision and mission and all those different types of things. So you really do have to be kind of questioning, um, you know, what, what you take as uh, fact or sort of nece uh, necessary. One of the things that early on got me labeled unemployable within a corporate environment is 
the first, this is the first time someone ever said to me, well, we've always done it that way. And I don't even know where this came from. It was just sort of of its own volition, but I just blurted out. I said, yeah, and somehow you're still in business despite that. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I, I Somehow I felt like this was going to go back to something that you said. I just felt like <laughs> that it was, you know, was going to be related to uh, a manner of, speak, of speech. Exactly. So, um, Here's one thing I'm curious about. Uh, you know, what we're discussing here today, of course, is uh, building and scaling multiple remote companies. Now, do you recommend the approach of doing them one at a time? Do you recommend the approach of doing two or more simultaneously? Or do you think that the answer to that question is, it depends? And if so, what does it depend on? Well, it probably depends, but I'll say what's worked for me, and that's always one at a time. Um, right. I, I find it very difficult to kind of be juggling multiple projects um, at, at once um, successfully. Uh, I think that, you know, most businesses need, um, they need some degree of processes uh, and sort of oversight to be running smoothly. And I, I often find businesses kind of hit, hit milestones um, and they kind of maybe plateau, for example. Um, and so, for example, with shortlist, um, you know, I, I felt recently in the last uh, two or so months, we were sort of like plateauing, you know, we kind of had some up and down months, but we just weren't really breaking into new highs. And I felt, okay, this was, this was a time when I need to kind of go into the business and really reevaluate how we approach, um, for example, business development and, and the other and, and link building and the other services and departments that we have um, on our team. And I learned that, you know, I thought that some of the things we were doing were suboptimal. Um, and I went, you know, worked very closely with the team to sort of fix those and improve them. And now we're seeing, you know, uh, really great results from that, right? Happy ending to that story. Um, and essentially now they can kind of continue to do what they're doing for some amount of time, maybe some about a, uh, some number of months. And then uh, there's probably some other plateau around the corner. But now would be sort of the perfect time to allow them kind of to, to take the learnings and to run with it while I diverted focus to another business, for example. Um, and so I think that for me, um, you know, working on one uh, at a time and then kind of getting the business to some level of, uh, of, you know, underlying processes that are kind of governing it where it doesn't maybe take as much of, of your time, allowing it to grow. That's a that's an opportune time to maybe focus on something else. And then when you see that that business is starting to maybe stagger, that's a good time to kind of come back in with a fresh head and look at how things are being done and what opportunities there are and kind of going back and forth. Yeah, I had this discovery. This was actually a client of mine. Uh, happened last year. They got the bug to start a business to capitalize on the trend they saw in the marketplace, and it was an online business. It was just, well, actually wasn't all that different from the business they were already in. It just served a different niche and rendered a different service. And th and they did a test pilot on it. Uh, they did a pilot program, which went eh, and. Looking at it retrospectively, they found out the reason why. It's because their primary business that they were already in needed a lot of work. And actually, by starting the second venture, it began to surface some of those issues because now they began to see without the same bandwidth to be able to assign to it and the same financial backing to be able to assign to it, uh, its holes became gaping and glaring. 
Yeah. And I've noticed that just looking at my own uh, business as well, that, you know, often when I'm kind of just in it day to day, um, it can be sort of difficult to understand what's not, you know, right about it. Um, But instead, you know, coming back to it after having taken a little bit of time off or had my focus somewhere else, um, I come in, I see things that are just obviously incorrect um, that I never really kind of questioned at the time. And so that's why um, for me, the recommendation isn't about trying to kind of simultaneously manage two things, but almost to kind of, uh, you know, work with the left hand and then, okay, now I'm going to move over to the right. Yeah. And I, and I think that, I think that there is an interesting balance that we look for here. Uh, You've heard, or probably heard that phrase from Sir Richard Branson, screw it, let's do it. I believe that was one of his book titles. And he's, the, and he's the guy, I know, I've read it too. And uh, he's uh, and he's said many times that if you're given a great opportunity, uh, say yes and then figure out how to do it. Um, his hmm. words are slightly different, but that's the paraphrase. And to a degree, I believe there's validity to that. Because if you wait for absolute certainty in every decision, you're going to be waiting long past your own lifespan. Because absolute certainty, (laughs) yeah, right. Uh, At the same time, I believe that if you go and do something that's too foolhardy and you say yes because Richard Branson said that, screw it, let's do it. Well, what if that wasn't something you were supposed to be doing? I have seen people go full hog, commit six and seven digits of funding to business ventures that they had no business being in in the first place because they got so ingrained into screw it, let's do it, and just decided that they were going to be the next Richard Branson. Well, Richard Branson didn't get to be Richard Branson by, uh, you know, through stupidity. I mean, he made a lot of bold moves, but they were calculated moves, if you actually study his story, number one. And number two, uh, nobody but Sir Richard Branson can be Sir Richard Branson. Uh, Dave Schneider can only be Dave Schneider. So is this something that Dave Schneider can do? Maybe the answer is yes, we don't know. This is true. I mean, so much, I think, uh, with, with entrepreneurs, there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, this element of risk taking that entrepreneurs are sort of taking risk and they are, but the risk, like you mentioned, are often a lot more calculated uh, than one realizes. Uh, when I started Ninja Outreach, for example, uh, years ago, uh, I, I didn't start that from scratch. I, I was like, on. I wanted to start a software business and I, I had some ideas, but I didn't have a developer. I didn't have any developing skills of my own. And I connected with uh, Mark on a podcast and he had a friend, Paul, um, and they had this, you know, really uh, basic uh, product. Uh, it, you almost couldn't even call it an MVP. It was just kind of like just some little software thing. Uh, and they said, hey, what about we, we work on this together, the three of us, and we use this as kind of the, the starting platform for building Ninja Outreach. We'll build off of this. Uh, but because we've already put in all this work to kind of get to where it is, you know, we think that, you know, you should have to kind of buy in uh, to be a part of it. And maybe, you know, I think something like 15 or 20 grand or something like that. Yeah. Um, and obviously this is not six or seven figures. Like you mentioned, it's 15, 20 grand. But at the time being in my twenties, um, being a budget backpacker, having had a little bit of success with the travel blog, but by no means kind of uh, swimming uh, in coins like Scrooge McDuck, uh, this, you know, it seemed like a lot of money at the time. Um, and so I was like, well, um, you know, I'll, I'll think about it. I kind of talked about it with my dad and, and they said, well, so what's, so what's kind of the worst that happens basically, you know, well, you're out, you know, 15, 20 grand or something like that, uh, which would be a shame, uh, but it was not, you know, my entire net worth. Um, and I still had 
my education and I had a place at my house and I had a lot of things I knew that I could fall back on if, if this thing didn't work out. And I said, well, what's the upside? The upside is that, you know, you build a nice software business. Um, and I said, well, that sounds pretty good. Um, and so, and so we did it. And that was, that was a, a screw it, let's do it type of thing where it's like, well, you know, I think some people would have said, you know, heck no, they would have said, they would have tried to negotiate, hey, no, I don't want to pay 15, I'll pay 12 or something like that. And then it would have just kind of started with this animosity and arguments between the partners and stuff like that. But I said, hey, screw it, let's do it. Um, let's see what happens at the end of the day. This is, you know, this is not going to be a major loss. Well, here's a, and, and, I'll, and I'll keep this pithy. Uh, I invested in something four years ago, and I ended up putting about $5,000 into it, and the thing crashed and burned. Uh, I'm not going to get into the reasons why. Um, I'm just going to say that the phrase crash and burned um, has relevance to it in terms of how the business model went. Um, on the other end, um, I hold no animosities or anything like that, and I had done my due due diligence research going into it and it just didn't play out the way I thought it did so um, actually it was $500 a month and by the time I got to the point where I realized I needed to put out I'd put uh, pull out I'd put in about 5,000 put out put in pull out I'd put in about $5,000 so on the one hand I diligence before getting started but then I continued to monitor the situation and I realized after 10 months that not only was this not going anywhere I probably just lost my money so at that point I just cut it off I said I'm done so sometimes that happens then you also have situations where uh, for example you get another type of opportunity I was invited in 2016 same year to contribute a chapter to the book Journeys to Success in Millennial Edition. It was $500 to buy in, and I had to submit a chapter of 3,500 words. Well, that's pretty low investment. Now, what was really good about it is I got involved in a community of writers. It led me to new opportunities to get involved with the community, and that I've even gotten two clients out of it. So to me, that $500 was money well spent. Now, in both cases, uh, now, in both cases, I took these uh, I took these things to my mastermind group, and they naturally said, "Well, no, don't do that. That's stupid." Now, they couldn't communicate to me that I shouldn't do these things because I didn't have the, really the framework to understand it. Now, a lot of people in the room had gone through things like this and been burned by it one way or the other, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't. Again, everybody has their own view. Now, somebody else in the same mastermind group was approached to contribute a chapter of her own to one of the other Journeys to Success books, because that was an entire franchise. And everybody in the mastermind group said, no, don't do it. Now, this was two years after I'd done it, and I'd shown that it turned me into an international Amazon bestseller, and I got two great clients out of it. And I said, look, you, you can do this. It's $500. And I just, and, oh, and here's a document for you. I just went to your blog. I pulled seven articles. I put them in this particular order. And your word count is 3385. So spend an hour or two and put a story on top of this. Here's your chapter. Done. And you'll be, and you'll probably get a client that's worth $5,000 out of it. So uh, this is something that takes you an afternoon. You're in and out and you'll probably get 10x ROI. But yeah, um, I would be leery of recommending somebody else to jump into something at a higher price point without at least having the framework to know that due diligence is an ongoing thing. 
what saved me and was and gave me the ability when I got to the 5,000 point and I realized the whole thing was going south to cut my losses is I kept doing due, due diligence on an ongoing basis. And I saw that things were trending in a direction which I re hadn't originally anticipated that was not going in a direction that was sustainable. So I got out while the getting was good. And I think there's something to be said for that in business too. And I think that if more entrepreneurs and business creators had the confidence and the framework to be able to say, this seemed like a good idea at the time. I have no regrets. I stand by that decision. I would make it again if I had the same, if I had the same data and the same opportunity. It's just not heading where I thought it was. So now that I've tried it, now that I have screwed it and done it, I realize that this is not going to really pay off. So I'm going to cut my losses. Yeah, I can cite numerous examples of times yeah. where I, I also had to cut cut my losses on, on different things. Uh, a recent one was a software we tried to launch at Shortlist. It was kind of an SEO tool like that. We had developed it internally for ourselves and we thought, hey, why don't we try to commercialize it and put in a little extra dev work to kind of clean it up. And this will be a nice source of, of maybe revenue, uh, maybe generate some leads for the link building and things like that. And then, you know, we worked on it for six or so months and kind of shopped it around. And honestly, people just weren't really that interested in it. You know, there's just a lot of SEO tools on the market and they didn't need another one. Um, and, you know, of course, hey, that was 20 grand or something like that of the agency's money um, that, you know, hey, well, it's always a shame, obviously, to, to not to not be profitable in every endeavor that you take on. But thinking back at the, the, the thought process behind whether or not we, you know, this, this made sense and what the opportunity was. Um, yeah, I don't I don't regret uh, it. I don't think it was it was dumb. Uh, and we had a limit on it, right? We could have continued to be spending one, two, three grand a month, just every month. And, and so we said, okay, you know, we, this was the kind of the limit. This is what we set aside to kind of prove the concept. It didn't work out and we're pulling the plug and we'll move on. Just sit, without having any details, just looking at this from the outside looking in, I see an asset that you have. Uh, you did invest X amount of money to build this software. Maybe there's somebody else who feels that they could make a go at it with that software. They're not good developers, but there's a good software, and maybe they're going to see a niche that you don't. You could sell the software. You could get part of your money back. It's totally true. Yeah. Um, you know, it is an asset. It does still exist. It does still work. We still use it internally. Uh, t now is not the time, uh, and maybe it will never be the time, but like you said, you, you never really know uh, what, what's going to yeah. kind of happen down the line. I'm going to say something very candidly for our listeners. Uh, last year, uh, you know, I told you earlier about a client who um, did a pilot program on something and thought, eh. Last year, I started a program called In Demand Expert, which was a podcast guest booking agency. I, I did a pilot program too. Um, the program overall went pretty good. There were a lot of lessons learned. And then I put it on pause. And I'll tell you the reason why. I felt that I developed something really good. It had a lot of great services associated with it. Uh, but I decided that I wanted to go in a different direction than a lot of other agencies in the podcasting industry. And the timing wasn't right for what I wanted to do. So I have it all built and I have it all ready. And I'm just now moving forward with where I really want to go with it based on the experience of my research, studying the industry, predicting trends that I'm now starting to see come into play and having the mechanism ready to go so that I can be the first to hit the market with it. I just looked at it and said, this is promising. This has a lot of juice to it. I wanna do something a little bit different. I see there's a trend that supports what I wanna do, but I don't think that trend's gonna be here for another year yet. So I'm just gonna kind of lay back on it. Mm -hmm. 
It seems like a smart call. And I think there's something to be said for that, too. I think a lot of things are just a matter of timing. Uh, I mean, there, you know, more than one person invented the telephone, more than one person invented the light bulb, but we assign one inventor to each one of those things. That's true. I didn't know it's that. A, it's a, it's a, it was a per, uh, yeah, I mean, well, not exactly the exact same type of device as a light bulb or a telephone, but things that achieve similar purposes. Uh, you know, you can find different instances of those types of communications and lighting and things like that. Uh, but it just so happened that uh, Alexander Graham Bell and Thomas Edison uh, had the, the the combination of timing and market availability. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, there's a light bulb. I, I can't, I I'd have to look this up. At, and I think it's in a firehouse in California somewhere. There's a light bulb that has been burning continuously for over 100 years. <laughs> One of the originals. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like, it's like an eight watt bulb and it's not even as bright as uh, one of those uh, bulbs on a Christmas tree or something like that. But uh, the thing has been lit continuously for over a hundred years, at least last time I checked a few years ago, maybe it's gone out since then, but it's, it's, it's funny how that stuff can happen. Uh, you know, every so often you'll go into an old house and you'll see a light bulb burned out and uh, you'll go to change it. And it's like, Oh, this one looks like it was manufactured 40 years ago. Son <laughs> of a gun. And then, and then sometimes you, you change a light bulb in your kitchen and it goes out in two months after normal use. Yeah. Which, which, to me, which to me is a metaphor for you never know what will continue to burn brightly. You never know what will continue to burn dimly, but it'll keep going. And you never know what's going to be a flash in the pan which to me is an argument for being willing to move forward with things, knowing that you do ongoing due diligence and having some of the strategies and competencies we discussed earlier for virtual and asynchronous team building. Because when you're creating multiple streams, you don't know which one's going to be uh, the light bulb that burns brightly for 40 years, the one that burns dimly for 100 years and continues to make its own subtle contribution, and the one that'll uh, burn bright for two minutes and then blow out. Boy, you, you just tied that back beautifully. Between us, I, I did not. I thought you know the light bulb was we were just going to have to do some sort of segue onto something totally different, but you, you managed it. <laughs> I've been doing this for over seven years. <laughs> the Business Creators Radio Show is one of the longest continuously running entrepreneurial podcasts on the air today. It's audio only. It doesn't even have intro and outro bumpers, but I've seen so many flashes in the pan come and go. Uh, there's one podcast I think of that I was really excited about, and it was being created by somebody who I met at a conference once, and I thought, which I thought they're pretty cool and they went through they 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 built out a custom studio for their podcast they uh did all kinds of uh super unbelievably glitzy uh super unbelievably glitzy sort of things as far as their promotion their website their graphics uh they got all these uh amazing guests for their first three episodes i think one of them was john Asaraf and mm -hmm. They uh, and and they had all these Hollywood level production qualities for their podcast, and they launched those first three episodes. This was like five years ago. I'm still waiting for episode four. Wow! But here I am, sitting out on my balcony in the open air on my laptop with my Logitech headset, and I'm in my eighth year. Yeah, I mean, there's just no. Uh... No substitute for good quality content. Yeah. The reason we're not a video podcast, uh, and people ask me this a lot, is because uh, it, I just don't want to, candidly. Uh, I, don't <laughs> wa I, don't, I don't want 
to have to sit upright in a chair and hold my posture and keep my eyes locked on uh, on a thing for an hour. Uh, I don't want to do a 20-minute show either because in 20 minutes, you don't have time to explore things a little bit more deeply. You don't have time to get into the mastermind aspect of this, which is where some of the more profound learning happens when we bounce ideas off of each other and we get inspired by each other. And I also take a lot of notes. And it's, it would look weird if you saw me looking down and scribbling a lot. That's, yeah, those are all very good reasons to remain an audio podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anybody who does an audio podcast who wants to make a video podcast, take the graphic that you use to promote your episode on social media. Put it on one line in Camtasia. Take your mm -hmm. audio file, put it on another line in Camtasia. Stretch your graphic to cover the entire audio line. Hit render, MP3. Hit so, render, yeah. MP4. Now you have a video version and an audio version, just like that. Take the MP4, upload it to YouTube. Now you have a video. Yeah, it, it uh, is. Yeah, it is that uh, simple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, one other thing I want to cover in our time here together, because uh, you brought a lot of interesting things, interesting things to the table. Um, you know, I uh, just going back to your experiences with Ninja Outreach and Less Churn and all that. What has the transition been? from uh, a software to a service-based business been like? And where are the challenges that come along with it? Because this is, and the reason I ask this is because a lot of folks who want to start multiple streams of revenue in multiple companies will say, another software? And sometimes I hear them say, oh, another service business. So I'm very interested in your transition here because I want to create sort of an understanding of both sides of it. Take it away. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question, I think, because, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I don't know if, if a lot of people per se have done both software and agencies, you know, people do one or the other, but often not both. Um, and usually, if anything, they start with an agency or services business, and then they transition to software, not the other way around. Um, and uh, it, it's typically uh, seen that a software business is kind of preferred, right, because monthly recurring revenue and the valuation of the business. And I think those things are all true. And that is definitely a positive of that business model. And it's one of the reasons why I would like to kind of add that to my say portfolio or, or the businesses that I'm working on. But after selling, you know, uh, Ninja Outreach and Less Churn, I, I was looking to really get started working right away. And the quickest thing I could kind of get together was definitely a services business and agency. I mean, it cost me virtually no money to start up, whereas Ninja Outreach cost me tens of thousands of dollars to build. Um, right. And it worked out. But, you know, if it hadn't, uh, I might not be where I am today. Uh, I really didn't want to do that again uh, with with. Um, with starting another software from scratch and putting in tens of thousands of dollars, it just seemed kind of like, uh, yeah, just not really where I was at in, in my life. Um, and so, uh, you know, the agency has been great. Uh, uh, there are a lot of overlap, to be honest. There's a lot of similarities in terms of like, you know, running a remote organization and the way that we kind of uh, manage things and promote ourselves and our website and the, the work that we do to market ourselves. Um, a lot of those things are, are they're very similar, whether it's a services or software based uh, industry. Um, I, a lot of people don't like client work. Um, I also don't like client work that much. And so I sort of restrict my myself to really working with the team and making them kind of the best version of themselves so they can work on behalf of the clients and do the best work that they can. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you are, 
each business has its kind of pros and cons. Uh, you are showing up for work one way, one way or another. You're going to have some sort of fires that you have to put out occasionally. You're going to have some wins um, to deal with as well. So, you know, you have to think about which business is, I think, just sort of suits your personality a bit more. Um, are you a people person and you would like to kind of work with the clients and you like the experience of maybe different industries and providing different services? Or would, are you someone who's a little bit more maybe behind the scenes, more introverted, you want to kind of get involved in uh, a software, you want to think about onboarding and churn and retention and user experience and you have more of a technical mindset, or you, you know, are you more of a product type of person? So it's really, I think, which one suits you the best. I love how you went there because what I see a lot is the importance of understanding personality types. Uh, my friend Paul Fink, uh, who does the Maverick series, I went to one of his uh, I went to one of his seminars, and most of the seminar, and this was about sales strategies, was about understanding personality types. Uh, I myself have done extensive studies on Tony Alessandro's Platinum Roll. Uh, I've uh, studied the whole phenomenon of the introvert versus the extrovert thing and ambiverts and multiverts and everything else. And I think that a big challenge we see, and this is actually a contributing factor to why so many small businesses don't make it to the three-year mark, is people leap into something because somebody said they absolutely should do it, but it's not their personality type, plain and simple. Yeah. yeah. And, so, I, and, and, and you, you can't turn an introvert into an extrovert and you can't do it the other way either because we're dealing with the nature of who people are and how they gain and expend energy from social interactions that's a biological thing you can't just screw it let's do it your way past that i mean i mean maybe i mean maybe for a day or two but uh if you're the type of person who really does not want to speak with a lot of people you're going to get burned out on phone calls real quick so at that point you decide where do I want to be in this business if I want to be in this business? Do I want to be the behind the scenes guy uh, where I have somebody else on the front lines doing the doing the customer service and the sales calls? And maybe that's where you belong. I mean, you see these um, you see these folks who start companies and then five years later, they step aside and they uh, have somebody else come in as CEO and president while they take a vice president role. They're still running things because they still own all the stock. I mean, it's still their company, but they're letting somebody else be up in front because they would prefer to work on a specific area of the business day to day. So they jump into a VP role that allows them to do that from nine to five. Still yeah, their yeah. company, still in charge, but somebody else is doing the executive stuff because that's just not their forte. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree. I have to say, uh, I, you know, I find myself sort of an ambivert, maybe screen a little bit introverted, and yeah. I'm happy to do a sales call in a day or something like that. I can bring a lot of energy to that one call. But if I had to do client relations from nine to five, I would be burnt out by 11 um, and would just be doing a bad job for the rest of my time. So, yeah, I mean, so much of just everything but business in particular really comes down to knowing yourself personality types one of those things uh where you really do need to know yourself um and uh i think you know let that uh, take that into consideration with any any projects you start yeah i think i i think that's i think that's very very important like i myself i don't want to speak with anybody unless it's scheduled 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, me, uh, I, I made an unscheduled call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had people give me feedback. Well, when I call your toll-free number, I have to enter your extension, then I have to say my name, then I have to hit pound, and I have to wait and see if you answer. You know, you really should just give out your cell phone. I say, well, tell you what, let's give out your cell phone. I don't give, I, I, my, my own mother calls me through the toll-free number with the extension. I ain't going to give a business prospect my cellular number because that's because that's cutting into an area of my privacy that I don't want people I don't want people to to get to because I need those spaces of alone time. Yeah. And I, I I you know and if you and if you want to be my friend don't put upon me. I am as I'm generous to a fault. I'm actually one of the most accessible people out there because I literally have an entire hosted website up the sole purpose of which is to facilitate people getting onto my calendar for conversations. Mhm. Literally an entire hosted website, not just a you are a domain I bought that I redirected to my schedule once link, an actual website. So don't tell me I'm unfriendly or anything like that. I just need to keep it organized because when I know I have a call coming, I need to mentally prepare for it. And I don't want to be spending 20 minutes on pleasantries. I want to dive in and get to business. Yeah, in the exact same way. Yeah. It, you know, as I've said, you know, and as I've said many times, and I'm paraphrasing a line from the movie Scarface, I say, well, if you want to get to know me, uh, start doing business with me and stop screwing around. <laughs> That's a good quote. Which is another reason why I recommend everybody do a podcast. Uh, I don't want to, candidly, Dave, I don't want to do a lot of uh, free strategy sessions or let's see how we can support each other's calls. You want to get to know me? Come down to the Business Creators Radio Show. We'll have an hour-long private mastermind, and we'll get to know a lot about each other. And then we'll that's see where things naturally go from there. I've gotten a lot of clients this way. That's why I'm here. Exactly. Exactly. You get it as well as I do. And I think that is a final point. I know we have just a minute left here and I want to give uh, one of those three minutes we have left to you is when you are looking to create multiple businesses, you need to have a mechanism for testing the waters. And one thing that's been great about the Business Creators Radio Show is during a period in my life where I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, this gave me the opportunity to meet lots of people and take on lots of different projects that may or may not have matched my business brand just so I could see how much I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I have nothing to add, Adam. I feel like exactly, you, you exactly. explained it all perfectly. Exactly. Dave, I, 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 I love your contributions. I mean, you have, you have delivered so much great stuff. And I think as we wrap up here, I want to ask you one more question. This is where we cap it off. Uh, you're doing a lot of great things. So uh, what is it that you're seeking these days? And you know, how do people engage with you? And what do they have to look forward to when they do so? Sure. Well, if anybody wants to get in touch, they can go over to shortlist.io, uh, check out the agency or shoot me an email at dave at shortlist.io. Um, love talking shop with, with different people. Um, and I'm, you know, like I said, I'm in a digging into the processes uh, mode right now, really kind of getting over roadblocks and, uh, and then, you know, just finishing the year strong uh, and, and looking forward to a better 2021. I love I love to make every year better than the last one. Dave Schneider, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, and believe me, an education. Thank you so much, Adam, for having me. All right. All right. And for everybody listening today, I trust you've enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Check out our previous and our upcoming episodes. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. 
Until next time, have a great day. Take care.